the name of God, the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. We're going to be speaking this morning about the second lesson, the uh, portion of St. Paul's letter to the Galatians. Now, this is one of the earliest Christian documents that we have that's possibly written within 15 years of the death and resurrection of the Lord. Uh, it is uh, a very powerful and important letter. It's a letter that is written with, with great passion. St. Paul, on the one hand, is beside himself. He's so upset at what's going on in this church in Galatia. And on the other hand, uh, his, his heart is breaking for these people that he loves because they've gone so far off the track. Paul, converted by Christ himself, launches out into the ancient world to spread the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the good news is that there is a new life with God and with each other that is possible by receiving the undeserved, unmerited, unimaginably costly, and disproportionate gift that God gives to us in Jesus Christ, his Son. God gives himself completely and totally to us in Jesus Christ, the Lord. God's total self-commitment to us in his Son, even to the death of the cross. And this, this new kind of life with God and this new kind of life with each other triumphs over death, triumphs over sin, triumphs over evil, bursts forth from the tomb. And the crucified and risen one breathes this new life, this new relationship with God into his, into his people, through the word of God, through the sacraments of the church, and through the fellowship. The Greek word is koinonia, through the fellowship, the covenant fellowship that we have in his name, this new kind of human unity. St. Paul goes into the ancient world. Uh, Galatia is, uh, is in modern-day Turkey. This letter is probably written to a group of churches in that, in that area. There's some dispute about just exactly where it is, but it's more or less in the middle of modern-day Turkey. And um, uh, people are coming to Christ. People are accepting this, this, this gospel. Jews are accepting it, that Jesus is the long-promised Jewish Messiah. And Gentiles those that have not had the oracles of God. They don't have access to the scriptures. You know, when St. Paul talks about the scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament, of course. Um, they, they, maybe they are following one of the local gods, or maybe they're living you know, a life with not following any particular god at all, but they hear this good news, and they accept, it, they, they accept the gift of God's self to us in Jesus Christ the Lord, they, 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 uh, they come to him and they receive the Spirit and they receive a new kind of life. Now, as people respond to the gospel, there comes into being very weird communities. These are communities that are very strange in the context of the ancient world. The ancient world this era of the Roman Empire, is our, our world more and more resembles this world. And the ancient world is a world that's highly stratified. It's uh, highly atomized. Um, 
there are all kinds of criteria which distinguish us from them. I've been made aware of a, a phrase that sociologists use. Sociologists talk about social capital. Social capital. It's the thing that gives you identity, and it's the thing that gives you worth. And there are all kinds of worldly schemes for this, and there were these kinds of schemes in the ancient world. So if you lived in the ancient world, uh, it was really clear that men had social capital, women did not. It was very, very clear that people who were uh, masters and owners of slaves had social capital, and slaves did not. If you were a Jew, you thought that the idolatrous and unclean Gentiles and heathens uh, uh, had no standing uh, before God, certainly. Uh, they had no social capital, and you, as a good and faithful Jew, keeping the law of Moses, did. If you were a cultured Greek, you thought that the dirty Jews uh, had no worth uh, and uh, could not be considered to be in the same class at all with uh, the truly civilized. So what's happening is, as, as people are embracing the gospel, all of these different uh, categories, all of these uh, different communities that are, are created by reliance on one so sort of social capital or another, they're all of a sudden uh, people are deserting them and they're, and they're coming into the church. And so in the church you have the highborn and the lowborn together and they're eating from the same dish and they're drinking from the same cup. You have masters and slaves maybe even from the same household, maybe during the week the, 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 the slave is serving the master, but, but uh, uh, at, when they come to the Eucharist, they're calling each other brother and sister, and they're eating out of the same dish, and they're drinking out of the same cup. Even Jews and Gentiles. It's not only Jewish people that are accepting Jesus as the Messiah, but, but Gentiles are. And Jews don't have anything to do with, with, with Gentiles, but they're eating out of the same dish and drinking out of the And this is scandalous in the ancient world. They're probably meeting in the, in the house of one of the wealthier uh, people in the, in the, in the, in the, in the congregation, uh, who has a kind of an open house for the, for the meetings for worship and Eucharist and the agape meal. And this is very disturbing to the neighbors. What kind of people are coming to visit these guys next door? It's very upsetting. And even the Roman authorities are beginning to become uncomfortable about this because they're always alert for anything that is upsetting the delicate social balance of the Pax Romana. So here is, in a world that is stratified according to different schemas of identity and worth, here is a, here is, here is a community in which people who should have no regard for each other regard each other as brothers and sisters. Here is a community where people who are normally enemies and even ought to be enemies, morally speaking, ought to be enemies. One of the things that has been remarkable to me in my lifetime, one of the differences between the, the, the social milieu that I grew up in and the social milieu we're living in now is that when I was a little boy, it was a social norm 
that you, you, you ought to practice reconciliation. You ought to reach out. You, uh, you, you ought not to keep grudges. You ought not to hold people in contempt. These, these were considered to be, be immoral things. It was the kind of the inheritance of a Christian civilization. And now we're moving back into a world which is more familiar for most of the world, for most of the world's history, for most of the world's people, and certainly was characteristic of the ancient world. But there are certain categories of people who not only are naturally your enemies, but you're morally obligated to have them and hold them as enemies. It's a matter of dishonor not to hold these people as enemies. And so we're becoming familiar with that again. You know, if it turns out that you had associated with the wrong sort of people, let's say you belonged to some political group when you were in college, the wrong label, let's say. And it can be clear in now that's been covered 20, 20, 20 years, 20 years later. Well, here were these communities, and they were a countersign to all that. They were a countersign to all that. They were incredibly inclusive communities. And they were a countersign to these competing schemes of identity and worth that dominated uh, the ancient world. And now what is happening is false teachers are following in Paul's wake, and they're reintroducing one of these schemes. They're, re they're reintroducing the, 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 the scheme that divides uh, Jews and Gentiles. And they're telling new Christians who are coming in from the Gentile world, look, unless you really become culturally Jews, unless you get um, circumcised and keep two sets of dishes and you keep all the rules and regulations that are laid out in Deuteronomy and uh, Leviticus, um, you're not real Christians. You don't have real identity. You don't have real worth. And Paul, Paul is just beside himself because people are accepting this. It happened before. Uh, Peter, when he went to, to Antioch, was eating and, and drinking with the Gentile converts, and then some people came from Jerusalem and said, you ought not to do that. You shouldn't be associating with those people in that way unless they, you know, really become... They get circumcised and do everything. That, and he withdraws from them. And Paul says, I confronted him to his face. It's a betrayal of the gospel. It's a betrayal of the gospel. So what is the basis of this, these weird communities? What is the basis of these weird communities then? And what is the basis of this weird community now? Well, our churches are still the most diverse communities in our society. Here you'll find high-born, low-born. You'll find rich and poor. Here you'll find people of different races, different nationalities, particularly in a cathedral church like this. You'll even find people from different political tribes. Very unusual in our society now, right? And you know, since Americans get their politics and their religion all mixed up, you'll even find people of different theological tribes in the same What could possibly hold it together? What could possibly animate this new, weird way of relating to God and relating to each other. This new basis for uh, a community of fellowship and, and love. You know, the whole law, Paul says, is summed up in this love your neighbor as yourself. What could really, what could really support that? Well, the, the exclusivity of these communities that, 
the inclusivity of these communities that Paul founded was based on a fundamental exclusivity. The inclusivity of these communities that he founded was based on a fundamental exclusivity. And the exclusivity is this, is that there is no basis for identity and there is no basis for worth either with regard to God or with regard to our fellow human beings. No basis whatsoever other than this. Everything is excluded except this one thing, faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. And in this term in the scripture, it means complete and utter dependence and trust in Jesus Christ on the one hand, and it also means a belief and a trust and a, a confidence in God's faithfulness to us in Jesus Christ the Lord. Faithful even to the cross. God's faithfulness to his promise to give us. Familial intimacy with him, such that we can say, Abba, Father. Give himself completely to us, not because of anything we are, our status with what group we were born into, not because of anything we are, not because of anything we've done, not even because of how religious or righteous we are, but simply because it is God's character to give himself disproportionately, sacrificially, and uh, to the undeserving. Christ died for the ungodly. Even while you were yet sinners, even while you were yet far off, right, has he run out to seek you in Jesus Christ the Lord. So that's the great, that's the great basis for, the, for, the, for, the, for, the, for this new life. And this new life is, is a life which is freed from the inevitable anxiety that all these other schemes of identity and worth produce. It was Martin Luther's great insight that if we are you know, looking to ourselves, constructing our own identity, if we're looking to ourselves and trying to establish our own worth, or if we're looking and trying to impress ourselves with, with other people to establish our worth, you know, uh, Paul says your life is hid with God in Christ. And it, Martin Luther said if you have, have it, you once found that, having once found your identity and your worth in the reception of the free gift that God has given you in Jesus Christ, having once laid hold of that, you start looking at yourself again. You start looking at all these schemes of social capital again. Two things will happen to you, Luther says. You will be tempted into brittle pride or despair. You'll say, hey, look at me, I'm doing pretty well. I'm, a pretty, I'm pretty good. I, I'm with the right people. I believe the right things. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm accomplished in this, I'm accomplished in that. Or uh, you'll, you'll, you'll look at yourself and say, I, there's no hope for me. I was reading about uh, a man who is a, 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 a chaplain for professional athletes. And he was talking about how these athletes oscillate between between pride and despair. You know, when they win, they're on top of the world. But they, but they come in second 
You know, somebody's got to come in second. They come in second, and it's the end of the world. And their self-worth goes up and down like a, like a, like a yo-yo. Having been freed from all that, having been freed from all that, having been freed from all that, and invented, invited into a new kind of community, which is, which is, which is based on a common poverty and a common, incredibly fortuitous inheritance. Having the freedom that comes from that experience, why would you go back to slavery, St. Paul says? Why would you become enslaved? Again, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand for, firm, therefore, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Um, people are very anxious about identity and very, very anxious about worth in our society. I think some of this is what's fueling the epidemic of anxiety and depression, even suicide, amongst us. What would it be like to be freed from all of that? What would it be like to be able to give a positive answer to the great question of the human heart? Can there indeed be one human family? What, it would, what would it be like to be freed from this uh, this this this? constant undertow of the human heart that wants to divide the human family into us and to them. That life is available to us. If everything else is excluded, except faith, trust in Jesus Christ the Lord. Now, I'm, I'm indebted to the Bible commentator, Dr. John Barclay, for this a very important insight, that in the letters of St. Paul, faith in Christ is not a, a, an alternate form of accumulating capital. It's not an alternate form of accomplishment. It's not that, you know, I, now I believe in Jesus, and because I believe in Jesus in the right way, in the right style, uh, God will uh, look upon me and, and, and grant me and, and grant me favor. Uh, Dr. Barclay says, no, in Paul, and we know this because this is Paul's experience, he encounters Christ on the road of, to, to Damascus, and he's, a, he's breathing murder against the Christian church, and therefore murder against Christ. And Christ says, here I am. I want you for my own. So Paul's experience is an experience of an absolutely disproportionate and undeserved, undeserved gift. And um, um, it's very important that faith in Christ in St. Paul is first and foremost, and this is Dr. Barclay's uh, phrase, and it's just so well put, Faith in Jesus Christ is first and foremost a declaration of bankruptcy. So the old Baptist hymn, right? Just as I am without one plea. And we have a very good prayer, which we say before we receive communion. We not presume to come to this light table of mercy of the Lord, trusting in our own righteousness. I'm free from all that. I'm free from all that. I, 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 I have no righteousness of my own. I have no claim of my own. Uh, I, uh, I depend utterly upon the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, the healing of God, the gift, God's gift of himself to us, the gift of a new life with God and with each other, in and through the death, of, death and resurrection of the Lord, that is breathed into us through the words of the Scripture, through the sacraments of the Church, and through this fellowship that we share. And as long as the foundation holds, as long as the 
as the as 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 long as the uh, as the basis uh, uh, holds, the community will hold. And when any other foundation is laid, other than the only foundation that can be laid, Jesus Christ the Lord, whenever it becomes Jesus and something else, the community will start to fade. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Therefore, let's not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Paul contrasts life according to the flesh and life according to the spirit. Life according to the flesh is not something is wrong with the body or anything like that. The flesh is the human person in revolt against God. Us trying to make our own lives without God. And the consequences of that way of life are the old, old story. The new story is life according to the spirit. Which is a life which is based upon the receipt, the free gift of God Himself to us in Jesus Christ the Lord, and the receipt, receipt of uh, the Spirit which He breathes into us at the cost of His cross and the power of His resurrection, and the life that comes from that, the life that comes from that, is joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's not walk after the flesh, let's walk after the spirit. Let's not be slaves, but be free. In the name of God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit.